Hello, everyone, and welcome to the, let me repeat, the Rock and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my good buddy and compadre, Mark. Hey, Frank. And hello, listener. That's right. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcast. That uh, every Friday, you'll find a new episode of this here program dropping wherever you find this here program. That's right. And for any new listeners out there, this is the podcast where Mark and I recommend albums to each other to review them. Plus, we have a wide variety of musical discussions like our Spotlight series where we dig into a band's catalog and we see what comes out on the other side. Yeah, or in our verse series where we'll pit two albums uh, against each other and make them duke it out for total stereo domination. That's right. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and our new Facebook group. We like to drop additional content, and hopefully that will leave you wanting more of this musical goodness and, of course, Mark's random nonsense. And if you have a record, more importantly, that you want us to check out, just drop a comment wherever you find us. Whether you subscribe while you're at it, subscribe to us, review, rate. And I'm going to always say this, Mark. How are you, my man? Frankie, uh, it's Labor Day here in podcast land. And uh, so I've been enjoying a day off and, uh, and thankful for all the hardworking people who made it possible for us to have holidays and overtime and 40-hour work weeks and weekends. How about you? Love it. Love it. Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm all good. It's Labor Day, right? We're enjoying, enjoying our uh, time here. And we're gonna have a we're gonna have a fun one coming up. And uh, we've yo, I think we haven't done rock news in a while. So you want to take at some things? You want to take a look at some things that are going on currently? Yeah, it turns out there's like a surprising amount of stuff going on, even though we're all supposed to be stuck in the house. So uh, let's dive in. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. How does that happen? So this one's sad. So this is more of I guess the folk, the folk front. Sorry, um, but a couple weeks ago, a few weeks late with this. Uh, but Justin Towns Earl, son of Steve Earl, passed away at 38. I really liked his writing and I know he had some demons and uh, that probably was the, the, his demise. I think that's what ended up being his demise. Uh, so I hope there's some peace for him wh- wherever that may be. But uh, yeah, Justin Towns Earl passed away, Mark. Yeah. I had not heard of this guy uh, until his passing and hopefully uh, as some free time clears up, I'll be able to uh, get some record recommendations from Frank on what I should be listening to. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, let me know what you think. Uh, So on to happier news. Uh, There's a replacement biopic uh, based on the 2017 book Trouble Boys. Now, uh, Mark, we talked about uh, Color Me Obsessed and how what kind of odd that was. And I read Paul Westerberg wasn't a fan of it. Uh, I'm all in for a proper replacements biopic. Uh, What say you? Yeah, I was going to tease you and tell you that you were the only one who wants this. But uh, of course, there are the Mongoloids from Color Me Obsessed, a documentary that um, all want it so they can complain about not being in it enough or how they ruined the scene or uh, whatever. But seriously, um, you know, they're kind of a cool cult band. So it'd be cool to see a movie that exposes that white to a wider audience. Um, I just hope the film can get across uh, what it was really like for them um, and not fictionalize it. You know, so many biopics uh, just kind of make stuff up. And it, like, I, I prefer a documentary yeah. Like a really nice one without their crazy fans, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> well, follow up question for that because uh, you liked did you did you like the Queen biopic, the Bohemian Rhapsody? I haven't seen it. Okay, all right. So that's that's for another conversation. Uh, I the the Rocket Man one. That was good. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen that? Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, 
All that recent ones that came out, I, I haven't seen any of. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll talk about the Queen one on a, on a later date. Um, sure. We have a Woodstock 99 doc coming to uh, Netflix at some point. Uh, we based, uh, of course, we have an episode on the year 99, which you can find in our archives. Um, but Mark, I, I would totally give this a watch. Would you? I'd be interesting to see what it covers and how honestly the filmmakers look back at the events of Woodstock 99. I remember being a teenager, I got my hands on a, a double VHS of the Woodstock uh, 69 film. Uh, and it seemed like a perfect concert and everyone who attended just had the best summer ever. Um, but that wasn't the whole picture. You know, that didn't cover the drugs. It didn't cover the, the rape and the violence and, totally. and really, you know, all the things that the turmoil that led up to uh, the Rolling Stones performance in California a few months later, where a guy got stabbed and the summer of love ended immediately. So I'd really like to see what Woodstock 99 comes back with and how honestly they can look at the entire thing as opposed to just the concert footage. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think the big thing that caused the, uh, you know, the fires was like the obscene price of water right at the time, I think. Right. So I would love to kind of get into uh, the, the, the thinking, the logic or the illogic behind, behind stuff like right. that. So, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. I, I, would, I would definitely watch it. Um, some Metallica news, because we love talking about Metallica, right? Uh, we do. Metallica. Not even an apologize for it either. Never, never. Uh, with the release of the S&M uh, 2 album, uh, Metallica, they became the first act to have a mainstream rock song at number one in four different decades. Crazy, crazy. The track off yeah. S&M 2 is all within my hands. I mean, what else can we say? I mean, I hope the new studio al album's in the mix because as we mentioned in the Metallica episode found in the archives, I think another strong album uh, will mark a truly impressive arc in their career, right? You know, I'd be interested to hear a follow-up for Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Um, but as much as I uh, love Metallica, I'd be okay if they didn't. Um, you know, that said, I think we can at least, you know, get. I think we're going to get at least one more out of them. Uh, I just hope it's cool and thrashy and about monsters and shit. <laughs> let's take. I'll take it. Absolutely. So let's do a top ten list. We'll do a top ten list, uh, five and five. And since we're talking about biopics earlier, um, let's talk about what biopics we would like to see made. So we'll do five and five. And uh, if you're ready, man, kick us off. Gotcha. Are we still doing that? Are we still doing the top ten thing? Top uh, ten. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the show lately, you understand that I'm completely obsessed with Motorhead. Um, that said, uh, I'd want a biopic for Mr. Lemmy Kilmeister, uh, you know, the patron saint of all things rock and fuck and roll. Uh, Lemmy was known for drinking, drugging, womanizing, and being an avid reader. Um, the fact of the matter is that there's a ton we don't know about Lemmy. Uh, I'd love to see a film focused on Lemmy and the gang of Motorhead as Ace of Spades is already rocking them to stardom and, and what keeps them from staying in that stratosphere and and the absolute mania that had to have been going on around them. i think that'd be really interesting what, what's your first pick yeah that'd be a great insight i i think to that and uh mark sent me a tune the other day um it was the ballad and man that was that was incredible mark that was incredible <laughs> a lot of people are going to give me shit for this the best motorhead album is from 2005 yeah uh, from the early 2000s, it's We Are Motorhead. That fucking record kicks ass. Um, check that out, dude. That, that record's so damn good. It, it, you sent me the song, and, and I was like, whoa, hold on now. Really? And I had to double-check the date 
but great song. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. All right. So my uh, number one bio or one of my number uh, biopics, sorry. Of course I had the replacements, but obviously that's, that's not in the mix because we already talked about it. I actually had Hendrix on here, but Mark informs me and thankfully he did uh, that there was a biopic feature on, uh, on Hendrix with Andre 3000 from Outcast. I've never seen it. So I can't say if it merits another film or not. So I had to omit now the Hendrix from the list. So here's my number one. Uh, it's Bing Crosby or Rhythm Voice. So as of 2004, check this, Bing Crosby has sold close to one billion record tapes, compact discs, and digital downloads around the world. He may be the biggest selling recording artist of all time. Only the Beatles, Elvis Presley, and Michael Jackson can rival his sales figures. That's kind of crazy. He has sold... Yeah. 200 million records by 1960, uh, and the figure had doubled by 1980. His version, of course, of White Christmas by uh, Irving Berlin remains the best-selling recording of all time, and the Guinness uh, Book of World Records reports worldwide sales of 50 million. So, listen, he was Sinatra before Sinatra. Old Blue Eyes saw him, and he says that was it. Uh, he was part of the Rhythm Boys, consisting of Harry Barris and Al Rinker, of course, known for their hits Mississippi Mud. And so the Bluebirds and the Blackbirds got together, and it launched his solo career. I would like to see something on him, especially because I heard he was he was uh, pretty tough to please. So, Yeah. Uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, you mentioned Irvin Berlin. I recently watched – uh, one of the Star Trek Next Generation movies, I think it's the last one. I can't remember the name of it. It was yeah. so bad. But there's a part where Data starts singing, and Worf, who's like drunk on Romulan ale, is like, not Urban Berlin. And you're like, how far in the future is this guy penetrating that Worf hates him? <laughs> Anyways, that, um, that's some penetration to, to still be disliking him that far into the future. But in like 3287 or whatever fucking year TNG happens, but. <laughs> Um, so Frank's going to have uh, the I band on later, uh, yeah. but my number two pick, I, I've, all, I've been obsessed with him since I found out about the Ramones, is, is Dee Dee Ramone. He's my favorite of the Ramone boys. Uh, Dee Dee was a junkie and one hell of a songwriter. You know, he's the one who stole the TV so that they could buy Chinese rocks. Um, I'd love to focus on his struggle with addiction, his love, um, excuse me, his love life, uh, and, and playing in one of the most dynamic bands to crawl out of Queens. There's just yeah. so much fascinating stuff just around Dee Dee that I think he would warrant his own biopic, but I, I wouldn't say no to a Joey or a Johnny or a, I mean, Hey, I like a good Marky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll listen, thoughts are on in a little bit, unless you want to go now. Um, yeah. You know what? I can build off of that. Absolutely. So the Ramon. So, you know, it's so funny. I'm not sure why anything on them has been made. I'm sure it's a licensing issue or something like that. The rights to the songs, whatever. I mean, I'm, um, you know, I'm thankful that, we didn't have a shit version that that came out. Um, but now with the four original Ramones now dead and gone, I think it's something that we need to tribute the first uh, punk rock band. But as you said, if it's about Dee Dee and, and his struggles, that'd be, that'd be awesome too. Um, all four of them. That's, that'd be great. I mean, listen, New York in, in the late seventies was absolute shit. So for them to kind of go through all everything that's going on uh, then, I mean, in late seventies, right. I mean, think about taxi driver, the movie just and how, uh, you know, I could almost imagine that that was the atmosphere. Summer of Sam. Uh, yeah. There's a blizzard of 77, right? A massive heat wave. Everything was just going to hell. Gee, sounds like kind of 2020 or, or 2020, right? But um, yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm with you on Mark. Uh, I'm with you on that one, Mark. So you're next. Very cool. Um, Chuck Berry. Um, I'm sure there's 
something about Chuck Berry in film somewhere. Um, you know, he, he's a legendary uh, rock and roller. He's, he's a guitar hero and a pioneer. But um, past his prime, he got into a lot of trouble, particularly with uh, cameras and bathrooms. So I would love to see a biopic about Chuck Berry deciding to put cameras in toilets. I want to know that whole process, what he was thinking, what was going on, how much blow was he doing, who was trying to talk him out of it, who talked him into it. I think there's so much there, especially with a figure like Chuck Berry that people just don't understand. You know, they think he's just Johnny B. Good and a couple of hits. Yeah. There's so much to this guy that I really feel like you could do a cool biopic that didn't really need to focus on how did he – learn to play guitar. Where do you get his, you know what I mean? Like you could touch on that stuff in the beginning, but I want like, I want the old dirty Chuck Berry. Yeah. I mean, think about it. So he, he, vet, he basically invented the rock and roll strumming, right? Uh, that, uh, that whole yeah. strumming pattern that everyone used, but, but we know that, right? Mark knows that. I know that I'm sure most rock and roll enthusiasts know it. Uh, you have roll over Beethoven, you have uh, Johnny be good, all, all those songs. But, but what about after that stuff? Because he, he just died a couple of years ago. Like there's a whole long life he lived, you know, lived that I, I would only wish to get to, to an age like I that. Right. I think it's live. Live. I, I would really like to live. Lived. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Mark's right. There's a whole bunch of stuff uh, to Chuck Berry that uh, we would. Really you know, right. Yeah. So the biopic could take you, you know, um, it could start at the point that, that we already know happens, right? And uh, kind of go from there, especially with the, with the late years. No. Um, I have uh, one on uh, Gene Vincent and, and Eddie Cochran. Yes, uh, it's not, I know Gene and Eddie is a Stray Cat song, but I'm talking again, Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran. To me, the two um, really they're early rock and roll legends. Um, you know, Eddie's in particular is cut short, but I would honestly like to see and hear more of them having such a limited choice, especially if Eddie's works. I, I would feel like a film would do them justice. Uh, obviously there's going to be some dramatization in there and things obviously that, that they put in that, that didn't necessarily happen. Maybe, or maybe it could be something about rockabilly in general uh, because it's such a niche and has a niche and narrow audience. Uh, so something like that, I, I would be, more than willing to watch. Very cool. So uh, my next pick is uh, Tim Armstrong, um, frontman of punk rock royalty Rancid. Uh, you know, he's lived a wild and borderline reckless life uh, as suited for tabloids as any other pop star. Um, you know, between leaving Operation Ivy and create uh, the huge success that is and out come the wolves, writing songs for pop stars, dating pop stars, battling drug addiction, you know, making his own comebacks, guest appearance on The X-Files. I mean, what more of a fascinating character could you probably want? And spoiler alert, when this thing comes out, Frank's going to tell you he liked Lars's role better. <laughs> so the first initial comment was going to be, oh, well, we, maybe we could get a Lars one too, but uh, uh, yeah. So listen, he, he's the he's the he's the punk Tom Waits, you know, as far as your again your quirky, fascinating uh, characters, as you want to just know constantly what's going on in their minds. I mean, I think I read somewhere that up until a certain time, I don't even know if the guy had a driver's license or if he was like driving. Right? It's so fascinating, but to be part of all these really huge huge brands, in essence, like you said, dating pop stars on shows, uh, still cranking out music. What's his life like? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I want to know that. Damn, like a Tim Armstrong. That'd be interesting. That'd be a heck of a hell of interesting. 
uh, for sure. Like a series, maybe even two. I'll take. Um, all right. So this is uh, this is mainstream stuff, but Van Halen. Um, you know, this is me wanting to see kind of the inner workings of such a huge band that had a fixture and a character and a lead singer like David Lee Rothson and Rothson and lose that and not miss a beat with someone. Uh, like Sammy. Uh, I mean, it's so amazing to think that they went from them, um, but I want to know kind of more of the dynamic and how now these two figures are just permanently linked to each other uh, in life. Uh, so I would like, I would like something like that. What would, um, in, in your Van Halen biopic, who is the, the center figure? Is it, is it Eddie? Is it David? Is it uh, David Lee Roth, that is. Is it um, is it Sammy Hagar? Do you do it from Alex Van Halen's point of view, which would probably be kind of boring? Um, I'm completely losing the bass player's name. All I can think of is Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony. <laughs> Michael Anthony. Thank you. Um, do you do it from his point of view? Who's got the more interesting story? Because oh. Eddie is so painfully unlikable that would you really sit like how many? I know you would. How many other people would sit through two, like we'll call it two hours, right? It's going to be longer than Star Wars. Two hours of Eddie Van Halen. I don't think I could put up with it. You'd have to get somebody wonderfully charismatic who completely changes the character. Right. So you bring up a good point because if you focus it from Eddie's point of view, he's unlikable. If you focus it from Alex, who could be the one pulling the, the puppet string, so to speak, for Eddie, it's entirely boring. If if you focus on like if you have it from Dave's point of view the whole time, forget about it. And and then Sammy, I don't know how interesting that is. You may need to pull it. Maybe maybe we're making it as we as as we talk about it right now. Maybe it has to be like a, a little bit of ever, of all of them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we'll do it like that uh, that Bob Dylan. Yeah, I was just gonna say where it's from a so different every ten minutes. It's different people playing them, and you have yes. no idea what's going on the whole fucking time. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there we go. So people come to us if they want their script written because yeah, we, no, please. Mark got it. Yeah. <laughs> Take cash. Uh, so, uh, my last pick, right? Um, yep. mine is actually going to be uh, legendary composer, Frederick Chopin. Um, so there is a painting of Chopin at the Flagler mansion in Palm beach County. If you've never been to Palm beach County, the Flagler mansion, Flagler is famous for building the railroad all the way through South Florida, yep. built a huge mansion for himself and, and West Palm beach. Um, there is a painting in that house that you can go see called Chopin on his deathbed. Um, and I've, I've been fascinated by the painting since I first saw it. Um, I'd love to see a movie about how or why that painting came to be. Um, you know, there's a 1945 film about Chopin's life that I haven't seen, but from what I've read about it, uh, the movie um, I'm proposing is far more interesting. Um, after... Uh, after all, don't mind me, I'm having a hard time reading. Um, after all, he requested that his heart be cut out of his chest and sent back to Warsaw before he died. So Chopin on his deathbed, presumably right before he cut his fucking heart out. I want to know about that. Why isn't that a movie? It's got to start right there. The movie. Yeah, okay, yeah. You can see him sweating and they're like, hey man, you're sure about this? Because this knife is sharp. And he's like, ah. You're like, I want to know. I, I want And then he was some heck of a piano player, too, to my knowledge, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's a couple people know him. Couple yeah, people. Couple, couple, couple people know him. <laughs> so pianos, hearts getting ripped out. Uh, we have a we have we have a movie. We have your movie, folks. Yeah, it's like Indiana Jones, but um, better suits. Ah, got it, got it. 
Cool. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, what's, your, what's your final pick for uh, biopic? So final one again. It's it's one that probably's been beaten like a dead horse. But here we go. So it, it's the Beatles. But listen, there's there's a quite a bit on on the Fab Four or uh, things that are influenced by them. Of course, you had the spoof, the Ruddles, which was great across the universe. I want to hold your hand in the late seventies yesterday, which was recent, which I haven't seen. What I'm looking for though is the Lennon McCartney dynamic and relationship. I'm not talking about that. Uh, 2000 uh, made for TV garbage movie, two of us. Like I want to see that uh, competition. I want them to see them as brothers standing on polar opposite points uh, as they did and trying to figure out kind of how to exist. I, I want to see how they interacted, how they argued, how they wrote songs collectively and individually. I feel there's much more to their relationship that Paul carries inside of him uh, and doesn't share for obvious, for obvious reasons. Um, and listen, there's a decent amount of footage of them. And I have the nine VHS tapes anthology that came out, right? And it's funny because you still, you're very limited with what you see with John and Paul and their dynamics. So I want something that focuses specifically on them too. So I think that'd be really interesting, especially if we pick up as the band is disillusioned with playing live. Yeah. And they're forced into the studio to experiment and we get the birth of those, you know, Norwegian wood, we get the birth of Abbey Road and, and see where these dynamics begin and go. I think that'd be really interesting. I'd also be on board for a uh, partying with Ringo biopic. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring Ringo up at some point. Ringo hanging out. Because like, hey, look, George would be cool. George actually has a really fascinating life. If you like go, oh, yeah. I'm sure some of the documentaries about like him getting stabbed yeah. in his house on his birthday or whatever that was. But, like, let's do some Ringo stuff, man. Let's party with Ringo for a little bit. Like, what was it like to score the easiest job in fucking rock and roll and ride the roller coaster with two amazing songwriters? And you get so high you show up with a song called Octopus's Garden, and people are like, cool, man. It works. Like, I would love to be a part of that. Oh, uh, well, maybe they can focus on Pete Best, the guy who Ringo took his place, right? And then that guy just that ended up. That life. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Pete worse. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that was fun. That was fun to talk about that. And again, if you want scripts written, everyone uh, first email Mark and then we'll collaborate together and we'll, <laughs> we'll yeah, go from there. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, Mark. So if you want to introduce us into your pick that you had for yeah. me. Absolutely. So today we're talking about the San Francisco punk band Dead to Me and their second full-length album, African Elephants. Uh, the band has a bit of a tricky background, so we'll unpack that real quick before diving into the album. Um, playing on this record, this one, is Tyson Chicken. I'm, <laughs> his name is Tyson. They call him Chicken. His last name is Enchario Roach. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not, you guys know I'm terrible with names. I apologize. I'm right now. His name is Chicken. Uh, go for it. He's on vocals and bass. Uh, he's also of Western Addiction. Uh, Nathan Grice on vocal and guitar, as well as Ian Anderson on drums and backing vocal. Uh, this is a drastic change from the four-piece from the previous album and EP. That lineup included Jack Delimpio? I'm going to say it wrong. Uh, the guy from One Man Army um, who would go on to join the Swinging Utters uh, and the band Toy Guitar, uh, as well as Brandon Pollock on guitar, also a member of One Man Army, uh, both leaving after the Little Brother EP, which I happen to have a 12-inch copy of. Oh. I also have a 12-inch copy of the album we'll be talking about tonight. Okay. Regular uh, color vinyl or? 
No, it's black. It's the color black. Nice. Um, I did notice as as I was going through this, we're doing the episode. You guys know that me and Frank really break in. We, we get into the lyrics. We check everything out. I found a lot of the lyrics online were wrong. Oh. Um, so I, I referred back to the album for clarification on quite a few things. Sometimes it's just one word here or there. Sometimes the lyrics were completely wrong. So look for a good source when it comes to lyrics. There you go. The band released their third album, Moscow Penny Ante, in 2011 with Sam Johnson on guitar and Ken Yamazaki on rhythm guitar. Uh, Jack would rejoin the group uh, in 2016 for the single uh, I Want to Die in Los Angeles. Excuse me, that's an EP, uh, I Want to Die in Los Angeles. Um, an LP is said to be coming, uh, but there's been uh, nothing since. the. There's two singles in 2018 and the, the 2016 LP, but they've been quiet ever since. So that's, that's the lineup and some of the, the shuffling of cards uh, and players up to this point. It's a lot of shuffle for, for a band that's pretty young and uh as as if everyone's watching this on youtube mark mentioned they are from san francisco and i do have a uh, very nice 49ers hat on uh, i live and die by this team and i'm still sour about the super bowl <laughs> so yeah all right anyway i'm not this is not this is not a sports show <laughs> now mark listen i i understand that jack darm darm <laughs> he left the band to focus on his newborn and full-time commitment with another San Francisco band, Swinging Others, right? So I think it's safe to say that his influence on the others can be heard for sure in a good way. I I think he's a very talented songwriter. I really like the toy guitar album he did in 2015 called In This Mess. So my question to you, Mark, is I'm interested as to why this album, as opposed to the album with Jack, who I know you love what he's done with the others, because I know you really covet those others albums. Um, and is there a change of sound from, from those than the one you recommended to me? Yeah, great question. Um, and in fairness, I do own all of the records that he plays on with the swing and others on vinyl. Some of them are in color. We'll get into that conversation another time. Yes. Um, so Jack joined the others uh, for here under protest album uh, and has been playing rhythm guitar with them since so in case you guys are wondering where that starts. Yeah. Um, though he wasn't touring with them last year when I saw them live. I think that's a little bit to do with the, the full-time parent thing. Um, and to be honest with you, I wasn't burdened by any preconceptions or notions of one man army or toy guitar because I had no idea he had anything to do with them. Oh. Um, so this record for me sounded like a natural progression of the band. Cause if you take uh, certainly the little brother EP, which I absolutely adore, it's fantastic. Um, and then put African elephants on behind it. It sounds like the band's simply progressing. Um, you know, we get uh, chicken balancing out uh, a little bit more of the singing on this record. Um, so it really just does feel like they've scored one into the other. So it wasn't a, an issue of picking an album that, that Jack was playing on over one that he wasn't. I just really liked the feel of this record. I liked its, um, its clash-like um, moments. I liked that it was still really progressive and really did some interesting things. Um, I do want to make a correction. Last week, I said that this was a political punk album, and I don't, I don't think that's a fair assessment. Uh, I think it's, it's better to say that this is a socially conscious album. Uh, there's not any one particular uh, political movement that they're really trying to push. 
Uh, if anything, this album came out in 2009, so it's probably reactionary to, to the last Bush, uh, into the beginning of the Obama administration. Uh, but none of that really comes up. There's no direct political, you know, um, firing line. I think that's a good way to say it. Right. Uh, um, so I, I just wanted to make a little bit of a correction there. Um, for our listeners at home, so they don't think I'm a total fucking asshole. Um, I mean, I can be. Uh, you know, hey, look, some of those themes cross. Um, I like that record. Um, uh, Cuban Ballerina, which was their first record. Little Brother was the, the second EP. They, they were really great. Um, but I felt like this, like I said, it did a really great job of, of grasping those California punk rock roots, um, really blending in that clash, devil-may-care reggae attitude. Um and, and just really moving forward in terms of growing as a band. So um, you ready to jump into the track by track, my yeah, friend? Yeah, absolutely. Open us up, my man. So excellent. So the first track on this guy is called X. X. Uh, I don't think it's about the famous Los Angeles band, though, Frank. Ah. <laughs> um, which I don't like. I don't like the band X. You know, yeah, I, them, Fear, and another a couple others I, I don't know much about. So Yeah. Uh, so uh, I kind of love this opening uh, to the album where it's, you know, this chill kind of reggae vibe they use uh, with some clips of political commentary uh, to just kind of set the mood. Um, apparently um, set to lyrics about a uh, police state that's choking out their places to skate. Um, you know, I believe they're using the skating as an analogy for, for our freedoms. Um, I that not pointing a finger at any one party or political figure, but rather the freedoms which are under attack um, is what, what I think they're trying to do there. And I think they do use a cool kind of ska reggae way to do that. Um, I know people discard these kinds of songs. You know, once you mention skating, people just think it's childish. Um, and they say that, you know, punk's immature. But I think this resonates a little bit deeper uh, with the way they used the sound of the band to press that message forward. What do you think of the, uh, the opening track, X? Well, one thing I didn't expect was the laid back ska tune as the opening track. And I did like that they did that because they could have easily kept uh, the trend of just going into a three to four chord punk song and, and kind of started listener out that way. But uh, I, th- I think it was bold for them to actually choose to go ahead and, and do the ska tune. Now, I'm not going to comment on the political commentary per se, but I know you did correct yourself where it is more social. I think you're, you're right on that. Uh, it, it, I mean, you're not being told how to live by someone else, or as I always say, you know, there's not a, a collective crime being brought against a group of people, regardless of your innocence or guilt, because then that's a little bit of a different story. But this isn't the case, though, here. Um, so back to the song. Again, I like how they didn't go into the three, four chord punk tune to open things up. It also showcases that they could do ska songs, too, um, which I don't know. Sometimes I don't think punk just because you do punk doesn't mean you could do ska also. Right. Uh, some bands have tried it and I don't think it necessarily works well. Um, so the fact that you could do this to open up what's said to be a punk album, uh, which shows they're, they're thinking outside the box a little bit. So um, modern muse, that's the next, that's number two. So it's a cool metal melody here with the verses. I, I wish they carried that into the course because that's where I expected it could go. Not saying that that's, you know, it's a right or wrong thing. I just, I was expecting it to go there. Uh, yeah. I felt that uh, just took where the chord progression would go and um, they just kind of rolled with where the natural progression was. But I, I think they could have maybe just done a little something with the melody. At the two men mark though, we get a breakdown, uh, which is very 
welcomed. Uh, it's not a bad tune. Uh, I just, I, again, me personally, like I'm thinking now of as a songwriter, I just wanted them to create uh, a little bit more of a memorable chorus, but, but it is a cool melody. Cool. Yeah. I really like the, the pace of this song. Plus um, they use the word psych right off the bat. Um, just yeah. to kind of really contrast what you're hearing with what they're trying to say. Um, we're doing a little bit of uh, looking back on a scene, which, you know, Frank and I always kind of frown about, but I think they do it in a smart way. Um, you know, what that kind of means to them, what it means to us and, and how we keep it going and, um, you know, getting people to sing along and then sing their own songs. Um, I thought it was a really interesting song. I don't think this is much of a, a breakdown. I think it's a bridge, Frank. I think it's a, it's a songwriting skill called the bridge. <laughs> Uh, not so much a breakdown. I like that woo part. I really dig that. I like the woos. They do a couple of woos and ahs and oohs throughout the album that I think are really well placed. Um, I don't dare call them harmonies. Um, I mean, but I like the way they're done. There's some, uh, there's some harmonies going on, right? No, definitely. Yeah. Um, track three is nothing running through my brain. Pretty straightforward punk tune here. Simple lyrics that, that really work. They do a great job of keeping them simple and, and not complicating the song with too many details. Uh, I love the lines. Uh, we're all in a coma. It's okay. You didn't know. I didn't know either. It's been, uh, it'd be so much easier if someone could explain. Uh, I just like the way that that felt and the way they used it um, to connect to the listener. I mean, we're all in a coma now, right? I mean, that's kind of <laughs> Feeling that way a little bit. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's a simple punk tune with the recurring theme a la kind of Ramones where they take this one thing, like I'm thinking of like We're a Happy Family by the Ramones and that is constantly being being said uh, in the tune to make it memorable. Uh, I kind of feel like this is this is like that too. I'm not sure which vocalist this is. Do you know if this is Tyson or Nathan? I believe this is Nathan. Okay, okay. But the overall tone definitely works. I like the chorus here because it resonated with me and I was humming it along. So when people do that, Obviously, you know, it's made some sort of impact. Uh, nothing else to say other than it's a, it's a good punk tune here. So I, I, I like it. Uh, here we go. We got A Day Without War. Okay, so musically, this is the growth that I like to see from bands like this. They're giving me the same course. Punk tune for 12 tracks. I don't know how impressed I'm going to be as I'm not, you know, 19 anymore. I'm an old dude and I want some variety. So this, <laughs> I am an old dude. <laughs> so this track musically provides... Um, provides that. Again, I'm not making the commentary um, on their commentary. Uh, it's a good tune. I actually would have taken another minute of this. I know we always say about the length of songs too and how we should shorten them, um, but this one I actually wanted more of. So I, I like what they did here too, and the guitar sounded nice and, and clean. Uh, what about you? We haven't mentioned that. Uh, this album's 13 tracks uh, clocks in, I believe, just over 33 minutes. Yeah, think about that. Um, think about that. So it, they, they definitely keep them moving. Um, this feels like a, a rich kind of very Clash tribute to me. They were really honing in on that, that Clash feel. It's interesting to me that you don't want to comment on an anti-war song. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's right. Uh, I dig this chorus and the repetition of the title. I really feel that they, they sell it um, through that. Again, we're a happy family, another day without war, really just trying to promote that idea of finding hope of a, a life without violence. Sure. Absolutely. And, and to piggyback out of on, on what you said, um, I don't know what the intent is right behind the song and, and which war are we uh, referring to? Yes. As far as a grand stance on anti-war, absolutely. But, uh, but it's hard to kind of put your head in the, uh, in the songwriter 
space. So that's why I wasn't making a, you know, a specific comment because what's your definition of war and then which war you referred to all those right. things. So that, that's all. But um, next tune, Mark, Bad Friends. Yeah. Next tune is, is Bad Friends, as, as Frank correctly pointed out there. Uh, we get this uh, down-tempo, big, bassy intro with matching drums uh, and the chorus. It's a cool transition from Day Without a War into the verse. Uh, the three-piece does a cool job of building uh, up to that, that second chorus, uh, which I really like the feel of. Uh, quote, I hear them going out, I hear them coming in. I think most people can relate to, to that theme when we're talking about songs of these people entering and exiting their lives and, and what they're doing and, and what that cycle is like. Uh, they also do a cool thing where the drums pick up pace before everything else. So you really feel that tension building and then you get these lines. Um, I get the feeling they think that I can hear them, but I can hear them loud and, excuse me, I get the feeling they think that I can't hear them, but I can hear them loud and clear. I can't explain to you just what they said, but it sounds good in my head. So it's one of those really cool things of like, oh, I could hear them, but I didn't hear what they said, but I could hear them. And, and, and I, it, it's messing with you. And that, I think we've all been through a friendship or two like that. I know I used to live with a guitar player that I felt that way all the time. So... Uh, Frankie, what do you think of what do you think of Bad Friends? Well, for th- first of all, that guitar player was not me, by the way. <laughs> Frank and I have not lived together. No, <laughs> that would have made for some interesting stories, though. But um, so the way you explained it is probably going to alter maybe the, what I had. So I, I had that this track was just okay for me. I kind of got uh, bored with it. The slow beginning, it didn't catch her catch my attention right away um so that was a little bit uh, a little bit of an issue i i think it was initially thought it was generic and i wasn't relating to it musically and i know i wanted a longer tune last time but this one i actually wanted it to be shorter however the way you just kind of explained that does give me a different perspective of this song as far as its content goes and of course bad friends we've all been there uh, mark mentioned the scenario that that we all know way too well so yeah uh so this track was was okay for me but but i see it differently after your explanation libby leis did i say that right i think it's libby leis uh again more growth with a jangly indie rock vibe um i like the use of other languages in the songs in this case we obviously there's this is german and in the first tune uh, we have some uh, Spanish, so it packs a punch for sure. Um, again, that that shows you're thinking outside the box when you're trying to add different languages into songs, which you don't hear uh, most of the time. So I, I enjoyed this tune. I liked it for sure. Yeah, um, I definitely, this is a cool little dance number that happens to be about creating the atomic bomb. Uh, again, uh, just more of that kind of clash influence of growing as a punk band, and really for me, in the right direction. This is this is where I would like to see punk rap go is albums like this where we can be really smart about telling a story, really creative in the, the method in which we use it, and really proficient as musicians. Um, so I, I really dig that number. Uh, the next song and the last track on the A side is Cruel World. Um, more social commentary here, but again, the lyrics are delivered without uh, pointing blame, rather pointing out how cruel the world is um i love that they change up the song structure and instrumentation here uh and give us something a little bit more somber and kind of hopeful despite how bleak it can appear yeah so 
this could be my favorite musically on the album by far. I, I think to me, it sounds like it almost sounds like a 12 string is being strummed somewhere in the back there. I know it's not, but it, but it has a really full sound and you could hear uh, the instruments very loud and which is nice. It's a profound message. Listen, that there's a cruel world. Uh, in fact, 2020 is by definition, a prime example of that. The silver lining to me is that it's important for people to know this concept that it exists uh, and things like malice, hatred, hostility are very much alive and you have to perceive with caution in life um at least that's how i look at it to be um but i think this is musically i think this is definitely my favorite on the album um we get three chord strut um i got a good old rock and roll vibe here from the first 50 minutes i didn't expect this song to go in different directions with regards to having a noticeable course and that middle eight or bridge or you know <laughs> whatever that may be but i i thought uh, making it be a steady output of a similar tempo made sense for an album placement purposes. I, I kind of wanted a little bit more out of the song, but it definitely had that nice fifties rock and roll vibe in the, in the first, uh, uh, in the first 50, I'm sorry, rock and roll vibe in the first 50 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to have seen a little, that, that last change go on for another verse. Uh, I really like the way that last verse comes in uh, and what they do with it musically. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that. Um, lyrically, it almost feels a little bit, uh, Frank and I were talking about Fugazi again uh, before we started recording. Lyrically, this feels a little bit like that Fugazi kind of stream of consciousness uh, in the way he's done the lyrics here. Um, you know, they feel kind of torn out of somebody's notebook and, and just set to music as manic as the words themselves. I, I really dug this song. Um, the next track is California Sun. Um, excuse me, more of that kind of reggae Scott embrace uh, with a, a personal number about self-abuse and, and moving on, trying to clear that hurdle. Um, the repeated uh, words from the chorus just really kind of underscore the heartache. Uh, we've all felt felt uh, trying to convince ourselves that we're doing the right thing. Uh, reminds me a bit of our, our recent uh, episode on the frights. Yeah. Uh, this track reminded me of some of those fright tunes. I wonder this is old enough if, uh, if the frights were inspired by it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is where I get dancey on this one for sure. You get nice clean chords, uh, creates this bright atmosphere. And of course, the title of the song, you already kind of have that connotation uh, that's going to be like a, a shiny tune or at least as shiny as it could possibly be. Uh, I appreciate when these bands take a break from the bunk and they add this again into this mix. It, it's like they're, they're setting up for what's to come. And I hope stuff like that pops up um in, in the future records because i think i think they do it well i think they do it well um which makes me fall right into the next track which is called fell right in um it makes sense for after the last song that we had musically that we have this track uh i mean we talk about it so much with the album placement um so yeah let's get more energetic for sure as far as this tune goes it's a middle of the road song with with some generic lyrics i i can't say this is my favorite on the uh album so I, I know that um, there were some others that I definitely fancied more. And uh, we had Mark just get up for a second here, ladies and gentlemen, folks. So he should be back any minute. And he's back, everybody. So I hope you guys couldn't hear me flush. Um, it's okay if we did. <laughs> so I agree with you on the, the placement of the song in terms of where it is on the album with the energy of it. Um, you know, it really complements California Sun. Uh, however, I don't think the lyrics are, are, are all that generic. Okay. Uh, you know, we're kind of middle of the road. This song uh, is about fiending for a release from social confines uh, and inhibitions. They refer to the, um, I'm going to say this wrong probably, the 
if Dino Dinosonian or Victories, uh, which are reference, which I mean, that's super generic. Everybody does that. Um, <laughs> uh, which are actually um, the rituals that the ancient Greek used to use, uh, such as like intoxicants, music, and dance, um, to relieve themselves of the hardship of everyday life. Um, contextually, this is a you know the theme uh, most bands have taken away, and and probably the primary theme of this record. Um, you know. This record's kind of about breaking those restraints of normalcy, and and this song that I think does an amazing job of showcasing that particular theme. Yeah, and what I meant, generic to I meant more on the rhyme rhyme scheme side, and that's something okay. I, I should have clarified. In ancient Greeks, I mean, I'm part Greek. There you go. Right? You should be disappointed you didn't catch that. Uh, um, I dare you, Mark. That's the next uh, one. Uh, yeah, so I uh, I dare you. Um, this song really shows off the, the musicianship of the three-piece uh, rather nicely. They're able to play with tempo and rhythm uh, and keep the listener really glued um, to the speaker to hear what, what they're going to do next. Lyrically, uh, we get some, some cryptic lines that play well off the music. Uh, it's clearly personal, but, or personal, excuse me, uh, but it's clearly between the writer and whoever he wrote it for. They don't let on enough to give you too many clues as to what it is he's really talking about. Yeah, I mean, I like the strumming patterns here. It's a nice change up in the course of some nice layers and hidden melodies. Uh, I give the band credit for, again, really making this tight rhythmically. And I could only imagine live how that would sound. Uh, I could see this being a really impactful part in the set where this song is played. Uh, I, I think if you listen to this track, it's, it's weird because every time I hear new stuff and it's compact nature, it's amazing. Cause this song is only two minutes long, but it's crazy how it could cut through someone emotionally. Um, it, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good tune. So I like it. Next is Tierra del Fuego, uh, which is the archipelago off the southernmost tip of South American mainland. So clash like commentary here and even matching the band and, and musical style. Uh, it's not traditional in-your-face punk, which The Clash obviously did. They toned it down and still made the commentary, which was cool. I like when songs are the polar opposites with regards to the song topics, uh, which are aggressive and the musical vibe. Um, fun tune. It's a good tune. Very nice. Uh, you know, I, I dig the spirit of this. Very Clash influence, like you said, but also very much sounding like themselves, um, or at least themselves on this record, for sure. Uh, the intro transition um is clean and flows really nice into that first verse uh the title translates to land of fire um pair that with the lyrics uh they expand their worldview beyond you know that kind of misconce misconceived um skate park worldview that punks are so uh adamantly accused of having uh and not being able to move beyond i think this is a much smarter song um that a lot of people would like to give them credit for um and we're on to the last track blue it's called Blue, that's right. Uh, you're my boy, Blue. Um, yeah. uh, the contrast here from the rest of the album makes me feel like uh, this easily could have just been a B-side and not made the record. Um, I like the, the stuttery rock sound. Uh, I'm sure uh, you're going to say it's grungy. In fact, I, I read that after I wrote this, and he does say it's grungy. Um, but, uh, you know, they pair it well with these, like, kind of clean, uh, jangly guitar parts. Um, that really work to balance the song out. You know, it's very verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but the, the dynamic between those two really um, balances very well. As far as who Blue is and what Blue has experienced, uh, the band does a great job of leaving that to the listener. 
Um, I think it was a really cool way to close an album. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, so the brooding bass to open up the track and almost, uh, you guessed it, Mark, a grunge or a post-grunge guitar enters the space of 50 seconds. Uh, they switch from distortion to clean strummed guitar. So, yay, we, again, give we have this ability to separate the song from the others, which is an identifiable uh, part um, of the song. I, I think it was a good way to end the album, absolutely. So, Blue what is blue? What is their definition of blue? It's probably different than our definition or what it means, but cool way to end the album. So yeah. Is it a feeling? Is it a person? Like I kind of like the ambiguity of of blue. It's a state of being. Yeah. What what is it exactly? Right. Uh or is it the guy from uh You're my boy blue from old school? So. <laughs> <laughs> they make me crank the tank and that would make me um I don't know, somebody from one of the fat guys. Oh, Vince Vaughn's character, I was going to say. Oh, I got real thumbs. <laughs> there you go. All right, so shall we do some final thoughts on this album, my man? All right, so coming back to uh, Jack Darmipple with his, with his evident influences. There you go. And the others and the style he shows on the Toy Guitar album. I, I wonder the impact... Uh, of him with regards to Dead to Me. Would, would the album be different if if he was still in the band? Of course, as far as this album goes, it's a good punk rock record. I don't know how much, and this is obviously where me and Mark have had conversations on, how much am I relating to it nowadays? I'm, I always joke about um, it, that I'm entering this dad rock phase, and um, that doesn't mean I don't do cardio to workouts of punk bands i grew up on i just don't know if i'll be taking on any newer bands of the outfit along for the ride um that that could be wrong though i could totally be wrong uh this album showcased some elements of the band being more than just a three to four chord punk band i hope that continues in their next and future albums which i will give a spin if they release a new album i will give it a spin i don't know how much i will be circling back to this album uh, at this time but things change day to day with me so who knows so I'd, I'd recommend you check out uh, the singles he played on uh, when he came back in 2018, as well as the 2016 uh, I Want to Die in Los Angeles. I think those are uh, great. Uh, the EP is like three songs. The two singles are two singles. Uh, really good stuff. Um, I'm sure this would be a completely different LP if he were, were still in the band, um, as he um, wasn't. Uh, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I think we've got a really cool progressive punk rock record uh, that embraces that California punk rock uh, root with a big slice of the clash. I mean, the class's influence on this record is, is, oh, yeah. it's um, you know, um, for the record, that's, uh, 11 years old, uh, at this point, it still feels really fresh, uh, and relevant today. This, this feels like it could be a 2020 record. Um, I agree with that with some of the dread that's in there. Um, you know, so I, I think it's pretty good for a record that came out back in 2009 to still feel that, fr that fresh. Um, I had hoped that, that some of that clash influence might grab you a little more, might pull you in, get you a little more hooked. Sure. Um, but you know what? That's okay. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're in a dad rock freight phase. Um, I think we got to try to understand what you're doing. I, I think you're, you're pushing away from punk rock a little bit. Not that it's a bad thing and that you're exploring other worlds. But I don't think you're doing dad rock. I think dad rock is something a little bit different. A little bit that you're different. Not part, of, part of. I think Oasis is definitely in that dad rock field, considering <laughs> where it happened in time and space. Um, but I, I think you know I'm, I'm taking this as a personal challenge to um, 
find new and modern punk rock that pushes in an envelope, pushes the envelope, excuse me, in a way that I think will keep you interested without isolating you. Um, I like I that. I think, I think that's a, a fair challenge. And that doesn't mean my next record is going to be punk rock for you as I don't know what I'm picking for you next. Um, but we're, we'll keep that, that challenge going. And, and who knows, maybe you'll find some cool dad rock for me. Yeah, well, listen, and we just got done with the Oasis um, uh, episode too. So a lot of that could be on the forefront of my mind. And I appreciate the kind words. And perhaps I'm thinking of myself as an old fuddy-duddy more than I appear. Or maybe I'm just feeling super old this week, right? If so, then, you know, that's, and if I'm just feeling old this week, then that's a different conversation for uh, my therapist, right? So listen, it's hard to describe what's exciting me now and, and what isn't with regards to my relation of punk rock. It's still there and it's still strong bands like Lagwagon, Rancid, Bad Religion, Propaganda. I adore the music is energy in my veins. That's what made me like it was that energy to begin with. And it gets my senses all in a way that's really kind of even hard to explain to someone uh, i think with this album and before i knew about the details i was perhaps maybe expecting that again that jack influence on that indie kind of uh rock side what he's done now with the others and toy guitars so that's why i asked you earlier about it uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily distancing from punk as it's more of it's it was a fixture for my musical world for so long that i'm trying to see what else is out there and, and remember i i like the leatherface i like lillington's i like turnstile all things you suggested to me leatherface particularly uh and lillington's too i mean top 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 notch let's, let's just i want to play with this theme of you you thinking you're obsessed with dad music afghan wigs aren't dad music yeah, I guess they're not, right? I mean, they're they're pretty. Uh, yeah, they're not. They got some funky, uh, funky little edgy stuff going on, right? I mean, he's he's not a saint by any stretch of the imagination. Right? No. And uh, what was what was the the guy I didn't like? Uh, Christian Isabel. Uh, Jason Isabel. Jason Isabel. Excuse me. Not not necessarily dad music. That album may have been more dad like than his. You know, when he was doing drugs still. Right. Um, there are some songs about his kids, but I don't think that defines him. But like, so I don't think you're in as much of a dad mood as you think you are. Yeah. Um, well, that's good to know because then that makes me feel a lot better in life. <laughs> we're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to come up with a definitive definition for. Right. For let's do that first. Right. What is dad rock? Yeah. Because it, it might be in your head, you know, and you might just be feeling old because your daughter wants to listen to Taylor Swift and you want to listen to anything but Taylor Swift. Sure. Right. Yeah, and you know what? Listen, there, there's environments too when we're listening to these things. So it's like, you know, how much time do you get to listen to these things? Number one, on your own, undivided. Uh, do you get then swung into this other world where it's like, hey, you got to do all these things and, and be subjected to what they're listening to? And you can really kind of walk back uh, face down and be like, oh man, I got to listen to this. I'm really in a dad mood today and all these things. So th I think there's a lot of context to that. Absolutely. Um, I do think it is important, like you said, we define what that rock is. Does that actually fit the definition I have in my head? Because my maybe in my head it's this, but it's really called something else. Right. And that challenge I like. So Denmark find those newer punk albums that are good that five, ten years from now we'd still be chatting about uh, musically. Um, even even the commentary wise, is it like a kind of a universal thing that that still won't make me feel alienated? Because obviously, no no surprise, to everyone. Me and Mark are on 
polar opposite sides of a political spectrum here, right? But, but we both love rock and roll. But we both love rock and roll and each other. Um, <laughs> and each other and the concept of each other. I just wanted to do it. <laughs> there you go. Those of you not at home, not watching us on YouTube, we're, we've taken our index fingers, uh, yep. each on our left and our right hands, and we're just gently tapping them together. That's all. Mine's um, a little more forceful. I'm not going to lie. Oh, no, I'm being very gentle. Well, you know. <laughs> um, we yeah. love each other. We expect, uh, we respect uh, our opinions, and it's a beautiful thing about our friendship. So, Absolutely. Did you, did you notice I'm using a My Little Pony uh, drinking cup? I don't know are, if you you a, are you a brony? No, no, no. This was just the first cup when I opened the uh, the cabinet. Nice. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, yeah. So, that's that's what I feel uh, in reference to this. And I think it's a fun challenge. And I'm going to try to find, you know, Mark, more intriguing, whatever. Uh, you know, is it, de- is it rock? Is it folk? Is it whatever? Singer, songwriter, whatever. And Mark's going to find me those things. It's going to be fun on the next episodes, folks. So, you're going to want to definitely check them out. As you want to check out this next episode, Mark, because... Let me tell you, I got a band that I don't have a lot of information on. All I can tell you is that I like that one album that they made. This band is called Tall Heart, T-A-L-L, Heart, H-A-R-T. They have an album called We Are the Same from the year 2013. Don't know much about them. I believe they're from Tampa. Uh, I kind of like really their sound. The singer, he's got a really touching voice. Uh, It's more of a a rock sound. There's some emotion in it. It's not the... I guess technically emo and I don't know how much in the way of punk influence there is, but I really like this album. It's a shame that you get these one-offs from these bands and you can't find anything else on them when they disbanded for whatever reason. And, you know, maybe we could, uh, I don't know, find someone on social media and, and do what uh, the high on stress guy did with fig dish, which is trying to get them back together. Maybe we could find someone from, from tall heart and get them back together. Um, yeah, haven't succeeded Cause that band sucked. <laughs> So, so, Mark, you haven't heard of this band at all, right? No, not at all. So, uh, listeners at home, if you're playing along, T-A-L-L-H-A-R-T, one word, Tall Heart. Uh, we are the same, 2013. It is on Spotify. Me and Frank checked for me. Yes. Um, if you're looking for it, should be interesting. You know, I, I literally, what you guys heard him say is, is what I know of the band, nothing. Uh, so should be interesting to, to dive in next week. We'll, we'll tackle maybe Dad Rock. And uh, make a list for you. We'll do some stuff. Uh, it's going to be fun, everyone. So, listen, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're on Dill YouTube, uh, Mark and I really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, mm-hmm. we got some cool stuff coming up. Um, join us on Facebook, Instagram, like us, uh, leave us a message, whatever you want to do. Make us a recommendation. We're Please. here to chat. Please do, because that's, that's also a fun aspect of the show. And yeah. uh, we'll go from there, right, Mark? We will go from there, Frank. All right, everyone. Be well. (laughs) I blew it. Bye-bye.